Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 170 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks! We're doing it! We're doing the thing. We're only 30 episodes away for our bicentennial. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Uh, yeah, and well, and also we're almost on a regular schedule now. Uh, I, I have to apologize, y'all. I was in California last Monday. We, we started to decide we're going to try to record on Mondays to get this to you as quickly as possible so that we are on a more regular schedule. We did it on one Monday and then I was like, oops, Josh, I'm not going to be here next Monday. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I almost wasn't here this Monday, but lo and behold, but it we worked made out. it back it in worked time. Out. Yeah, We're look here. at that. We're doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See it's that? great. That's right. On this episode, we're going to be talking about um, uh, a classic uh, of musical cinema, Singing in the Rain. Mm. Uh, a, a movie that many other many people like myself might only know because of its reference in a clockwork orange just just putting it out there that was that was my i it's not totally true the the iconic actual singing in the rain part i knew because we watched it multiple times in my music class it was is a regular example of of amazing musical cinema you know so really that, that part i was familiar with was that one sequence the rest of this movie was a complete unknown to me. I didn't even know what it was about, let alone other. Well, there was one other song I knew from it, uh, but I didn't know it was from this movie, but I knew the song, you know, that uh, good morning, good, good morning. morning. I didn't song. know that was yep. from Singing in the Rain, but I knew the song. Oh, wow. uh, that's that's it. That's all I knew about it. So I went into this and uh, we'll see. We'll see what we have to say about it. But I will tell you guys what Josh picked this movie because this is is this one of your favorites of all time? All time. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. I and, have memorized every single song in this movie, and I know how to play them all. <laughs> now, here's something that Suze asked me that I didn't know how to answer, which is, with Singing in the Rain, is the selling point the singing or the dancing more? Not exclusive, like one or the other exclusively, but is the appeal more the dance sequences or the music overall? For me or just in for general? You. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, my you, God. It's the dance sequences 100% yeah, because of how grandiose the whole thing is it's a wonderful cinematic experience i will say that i was familiar with the most iconic obviously singing of course movie. yeah and i already knew that that was an amazing sequence uh there are definitely other pretty amazing parts of this movie that i was i guess i wouldn't say surprised because i expected it would be good because mm. of your level of love for it but just because you know something's going to be good doesn't know you know it doesn't mean you know what to expect. And yeah. I was I was kind of blown away by that stuff. But I'll tell nice. you what, I was not aware in any way, shape, or form what plot was kind of animating these things. Nor did I realize that so much of this movie kind of falls out of what you would call your stereotypical musical. Yeah, because for those of you who don't know musicals sort of uh, this isn't a hard and fast rule but often 
musicals use the musical sequences to express the thoughts, feelings, uh, and, and narrative points uh, of the narrative. So like in the musical, the person sings about what they're feeling in this situation, or they describe a conflict, or they sort of move the plot forward. And there are multiple parts in this movie where the singing has nothing to do with the narrative. It's from <laughs> another piece. And I thought that was so interesting because you could make a strong argument that this makes Singing in the Rain not a musical, which I think doesn't work because there are a couple sequences that are in yeah. narrative, but there's only a few. Most of the musical sequences are out of narrative. They're part of a separate piece within a piece. So yeah. I just thought that was really interesting, you know? Oh, yeah. There's so many things about this movie that I find to be completely fascinating. Hmm. But we're going to get into it. Sure. After we thank whom, Liam? Well, first and foremost, of course, we want to thank our uh, patrons. Yeah. Our, our patrons over on Patreon. <laughs> Patreons. Uh, yeah, our, our Patreons. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you go to patreon.com backslash Cinepunks, you can uh, see the various levels from $1 a month to $20 a month. Whatever you feel comfortable, we would love and appreciate your support. Uh, a few people uh, from us mentioning it on the show let me know that they, uh, much like Josh actually didn't have a few, uh, don't have some Cinepunk shirts. We have a bunch available. And at this point, they basically were printed to give away to patrons. So if you are one of our supporters on Patreon and you don't have a shirt uh, and you would like one, let me know. If there's a specific one you would want that you know about, let me know. And I'll try to get you the design that you're most interested in if we have it in your size. Um, and you know, if you are curious what's going on over at, uh, on Patreon, besides the shirts, we have some exclusive content, more coming, uh, a lot of stuff with me and Josh, uh, me and friend of the show, Adriana Gober have, we basically created a pilot for a new show. Uh, that's been a little delayed because I have to edit it and, uh, you know, I, I just haven't <laughs> had time to just sit and We're do that. We're a mere yet. shadow of that, which... Our other sponsor and Mechanical Shark Media, Mr. King Shark, is way better at than we are. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so big thanks to Sharky over at Mechanical Shark Media. Uh, he edits this show and equalizes the sound. Uh, if you have a media project of any kind that you would like some help with, head on over to Mechanical Shark Media. Uh, talk to Sharky about your idea, and he'll let you know if he would be able to uh, help it come to life. We also, of course, want to thank our friend. Chris Reject and all the people over at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations.com. I kind of don't want to thank Chris Reject because uh he has just been harassing me on text lately. It was Ooh. actually just one day. It wasn't it wasn't a whole long thing. But it's just one day where he sent me something he thought was real funny and it wasn't really that that funny only because I'd already seen it already. I don't know if you've seen this mm. guy. There's a guy on TikTok that does really awful reggae covers of rock songs. And he's done a lot of like death metal, but also just other stuff. So he recently did a turnstile song and Chris sent that to me with great joy as further evidence of the sin against music that he thinks turnstile is. And I'm like, Chris, this guy's a troll. He's done this for a million bands. Like, what are we doing? Like, this is an old joke, you know, whatever. But, uh, but, but Chris, he still wanted to harass me. And I know he's for just the record. My default is to blame you and not Chris, but in this instance, I feel as though Chris should know how online you are right. and how even I've seen it. Right. So I know right. for the record, you definitely have seen it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. yeah. Well, just and saying, it's, it's, just it's, saying it's fine. Like I get it. Like people don't like turnstile, whatever it's, 
it's a conversation I don't really need to have anymore, you know, but it is what it uh-huh. is. That being said, what's amazing is Chris not only has harassed me about this, he's harassed me about many, many things. And yet I have not gone anywhere else to print the shirts for uh, my company, <laughs> Rough Cut Fan Club, because LVAC does great work. And uh, and as much as I love to harass Chris, I also kind of love him at the same time, which is weird, but it's true. And uh, part of that is because I really believe he is interested in giving people uh, a fair shake and doing good work for them at a real affordable price. So nice. head on over to xlvacx.com. Of course, Josh, we also want to thank our friend Aaron Dahlbeck over at Essex Coffee Roasters. Yep. Aaron Dahlbeck strives to make available to the public um, de-stigmatized coffee, <laughs> good coffee for everybody to enjoy, egalitarian coffee. So uh, if you think like, you know, it's hard to get a good cup of coffee where you're at, you know what? Funny you should mention our man, Aaron, he can send you some. And if you go to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com, you can not only buy the finest blends of coffees that are small batch roasted, you could also get teas or T-shirts. And currently there is a cross promotion between Essex Coffee Roasters and Liam's T-shirt company, Rough Cup Fan Club, or Film Club, is it, Liam? No, that's already over. They can't get that anymore. Sorry, Oh, guys. they can't get that anymore? No, that's oh. been down for like three weeks. Right. Well, then, if you, <laughs> you still... Just, you guys just missed out on a Rough Cut exclusive uh, blend with with uh, with Essex, and there was a mug and a T-shirt. Josh has it on his mind because I just sent it to him, but, and it's, uh, but it's no yeah. longer available. So, sorry, sorry y'all. They sorry, actually, y'all. if we want to get current... They're at the current deal or collaboration is with quicksand. They have a quicksand blend. Oh yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think it's less it with the band it's and more with the record company that's doing with the, the label re-release. with our friend Casey. Is that, is that which iodine, is iodine is, records? Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. So definitely get yeah, that. Yeah, the design yeah. looks cool. The coffee's good. I think you should support Aaron and everything he does. Yeah. And when you put C I N E P U N X as your coupon code at checkout, guess what dogs? 10% off your entire order. I'll boys. So, yeah. So, now that that's done, we've thanked all <laughs> who we need to thank. Sure, sure. What else do we do now, Liam? Uh, Whack it on train! Uh, I knew you were just going to do it. I knew I was like... Oh, what was I going to do, Liam? Whack it on train! Oh, my God. Okay. I all know. Right. So good. So good. Sharky, can you put some reverb effect on that? Don't. Just so it please sounds don't. epic. Please, Sharky, please, do. please don't. <laughs> so, Liam, what have you done lately that is whack? Or what have you done that is on track? Um, Whack. I guess I don't have a lot of whack other than just... You know what? I think we might have to posse up this segment and remove whack because it's just us complaining. You know? I know, and but that's the point. Like, it, Here's the thing. The whack should stay because we can't assume that every movie that we see or show <laughs> we go to yeah. is going to be dope. And so I'm okay with it still being part of it. Uh, and and honestly, it gives me a chance because I don't want to interrupt the rest of the show to occasionally mention things that people should be paying attention to. Like, you know, the last episode we talked about the attack on trans rights, mm. which is, by the way, only gotten worse. I, I was hoping that there would be some turnaround. Headway, but things yeah. just keep getting bad in that department. We also have, you know, Biden approving uh, drilling for oil in fucking Alaska uh, when he said he wouldn't do that. And it's probably going to be terrible for the environment. We've got for, for my dumbass the banning of TikTok, which I'm just like, 
Uh, it's like the one of the few social medias that doesn't give me anxiety, probably because I don't use it socially. I only use it like it's like a it's like a more fun YouTube for me. Um, yeah, I'd probably get anxiety from it if I actually tried to be social on it. I get the feeling that no, thank you. Yeah, I get the feeling that thing. it's it has a lot of trolls. We are far like too old for that. Yeah, let's I just not do can't. That. I, I I don't know. Yeah. It's it's not an impossibility. I don't want to say I, I would never do it. It's just right now it feels intimidating to me and apparently it's going to be banned by the government which makes zero sense and then uh you know and just in general things are rough right now which is i think why it's good that we also talk a lot more about the positive but i I always want to acknowledge all the shit that's going on so people don't feel like they're losing their minds because sometimes you look at the world and yeah there are lots of people who are like i'm overwhelmed because all i hear about is negative shit but i know lots of other people who are like i don't know i'm really worried and i don't think i i I hear enough people who are worried like me so if you're worried i'm worried too in the meantime i also uh have enjoyed some media that i'm going to talk about right now um no shows or anything i haven't been to like a good show in a little bit and i'm actually missing a show tonight unfortunately although this weekend uh, that band Spite House that we both love oh, is going to be in Chicago. A uh, friend of the show, Nick uh, from Numerati Zine, has booked a show for them, as well as a new band he just signed to his label called Demo Division um, that I think is is supposedly pretty good. I'll have a report on the next episode because I'm going to see them on Friday at the show, I hope, I hope, assuming I can go. Um, as far as media, I watched a movie that got a lot of chatter last year, but I never really made time for called Armageddon Time. Did you see this? No, I did not. I'll tell you what. Talk about a classic example of depiction is not endorsement because this is very much a movie about a community of people. In the case of this movie, they're uh, Jewish folks in the 80s, but a community of people who, on one hand, is pushing uh, against uh, uh, a society that's going a direction that they don't want it to go, in this case, Reaganism. On the other hand, are unwilling to make the changes in their individual lives that would matter. So it's about a kid who's growing up and he has a friend who's black and they get in trouble for something that was his idea. And with the encouragement of the, of his friend, who's kind of like a bit of a fatalist, you know, uh, you know, I'm black and the, they're just going to blame me anyway. So you should just get out of here. And his dad, he makes like a bad decision and just lets his friend be in trouble. And there's just amazing way that the movie, like, uses this as a way to comment on the time, which is a time where a lot of people were unhappy that Reagan was coming into power, but also did nothing to support anyone who opposed Reagan. You know, Mm. they just, they just complained about it, you know? And then meanwhile, everyone else sort of celebrated this horrible time in American history, the Reagan era being one of the worst times in the history of our country. And uh, I just thought the movie handled that really well. I get that it's a bit off-putting, to have uh, a movie that has a strong sort of element of discussion of race that's focused entirely on the experience of white people. But, uh, but that's what the movie's about, man. It's about that feeling of guilt that this per- kid has, right? And, and him not knowing how to navigate to do the right thing when his parents are really willing to suffer the wrong thing, not out of a sense of power, like we usually see, but out of a sense of a lack of power. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, we're Jewish, you know, it's sort of the, I'm not yeah. Jewish. I'm saying in the More movie, of like a concession. Kind yeah. Of. They feel like they're on the edge and that they could get pushed out or persecuted or whatever, you know, because they don't have a lot of money. They're, they, they're sort of, you know, financially on the edge. They're not in a place of like a ton of privilege. And so they feel like any 
difficult decisions that they make would put what little privilege they have in jeopardy. And I'm not saying they're wrong, but I think the movie isn't trying to endorse that, which like the, when it came out, I think some people really almost thought that it was, or it was justifying it. And I don't think that's the case at all. That's not my read on the movie. At least I finished the movie and thought this movie is an indictment of people who make a decision out of fear that they, you know, that could hurt other people. That's how it felt to me. So I liked it. It wasn't, it wasn't amazing. Like I, I wouldn't have put it on like my top 10 of the year per se, but mm. I just wanted to check it out. And I thought it was, it was pretty good uh, and had some really strong performances from two kid actors, which is like hard, right? Like a lot of kid actors can go either way. And I thought both the kids in this movie were pretty good. Uh, I also rewatched something we've talked about before, but I wanted to mention it again because it's really good. That is uh, the documentary about the Sparks Brothers. Oh, I love that movie. So good. Suze had never seen it, and we uh, were uh, we were in uh, um, California, California, and we w- just wanted something to have on in the hotel room, so we had that on, and it was really good. And I knew it was good, but there's something about rewatching something like that that's just like it really. You know, it brings that back. Uh, and then a couple of TV things I wanted to mention. Um, finished Poker Face. Uh, thought this season, uh, first season of Poker Face was pretty fucking amazing. Uh, thought Natasha Leone killed it, as did um, Ron Perlman in the in the last episode. And uh, yeah, I just, I think it's really good. I hope they let, uh, what's his name, the director, uh, direct like, or I don't know if he's going to direct them all, but I hope they let him make like one a season of this every year forever because it's just unbelievably good and i get that it has a real columbo vibe and so watching it and liking it i should give columbo a chance and maybe i will but i don't know or maybe i won't i don't know i don't know you motherfuckers you can do whatever you want yeah yeah yeah, exactly this is but but it was really good but it's really good i want to endorse it as if you haven't given poker face a chance it's fucking great uh I also want to say this season of Game Changer has been really great. Mm. Uh, and they just announced, you know, usually Game Changer on Dropout is only nine episodes. They just announced a bonus four episodes to end this season. Nice. Uh, they're doing a four part survivor on it. Uh, <laughs> old cast members versus new cast members. Uh, pretty stoked on that. Uh, and it's just been an amazing season. I don't know if you are. You're 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 behind on Game Changer, right? You're not. Yeah, I've been just watching them in order, starting from episode one. So, buddy, 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 if you want to, jumping to this season is worth it. If only for they did an episode where three of the contestants were trapped in an escape room of their own design. <laughs> that they they were in the green room and they had the whole green room turned into an escape room. So nice. Sam's like, "All right, I'll see you guys down there." And he leaves and he locks the door behind him and now they're trapped and they have to solve all these puzzles to get Incredible. out of it. It's so fucking good. It's just it kills me. It kills me. It kills me. So, I know not a lot of our listeners are on dropout, but if you are or if you just want to find them maybe not quite legally. I guess I shouldn't say that for such a small <laughs> enterprise. I love uh, dropout and they they they're taking less money for this yearly subscription. 100% advocate for paying for it because it's yeah. small business. What is it down to now? I think it was 60 before and now it's, it's like 50. 50 for the year. Yeah. Yeah. 50 for a year's worth of entertainment. I just think I, I, you know, I, because it is such a small endeavor and I really think the people involved are really great. I don't mind being a shill. They're, they're not obviously paying us any money, but I fucking love the channel. And like I said, this season of game changer, if you are on there, it's just been really 
it, again, I think all the seasons have been cool, but this one just feels next level. So right. I highly endorse it. Uh, and then finally, I finally talked Maeve into watching a show that I'd watched a few episodes and really liked, but I hadn't really given it time. And that's a show called Owl House on Disney+. Plus. I'll tell you what, Josh, we've talked before. I'm kind of a Disney hater, right? Right. Which isn't really weird. true. It's just it's that. so weird, right? Liam, not known for hating things, but go on. Stop. Stop. Uh, it's not that I'm really a hater. It's that people who love it are. It's that people who love it are over the top and embarrassing. Right. Right. And so right. compared to them, I'm a hater because I'm like, you know, the hit rate on Disney is not as good as y'all make it out to be. People act like they can do no wrong, and I'm like, they've done many wrong. What are we talking about? And some of the things mm. people are most nostalgic for are bad. Like, you know, this will piss people off. But Milan sucks. It sucks. It's bad. It's stupid. <laughs> It's, it's, it's not good. You know, uh, in fact, even Aladdin gets on my nerves, you know, and I think that the, the Pixar thing, you know, much higher hit rate with Pixar, but still it's not perfect, which is why it's so weird that on their channel, right. Whether that was the original Disney channel or now on Disney plus, they have a bunch of these kids shows that just hit it out of the fucking park. Gravity falls fucking magical. Wonderful. Amazing show. Uh, there's one called, princess star i think something like that it's like this this girl from another dimension or whatever it's some of the same people who made gravity falls unbelievable really good weirdly the ducktales reboot you ever watch the ducktales reboot no i love the original DuckTales. yo check out the ducktales reboot it's really good it's not as good as gravity falls but it similarly has like a weirdness to it and then the most recent one oh there's one called amphibia that's really good too uh again uh you know, 14 year old girl is trapped in another dimension filled with frogs and she has to find her friends or whatever. But this other one, Al house, it's super good. It is, uh, features a, uh, Dominican character. It has a lot of queer and non-binary characters. It involves a certain amount of horror because it's about a girl who finds herself in another dimension. She finds a way into the demon realm where witches live. And rather than leave, she decides she wants to be a witch. And she's going to become the first human to be a witch. And so she like just pursues this goal and scary stuff happens. Now it's mostly for kids. Like I don't want to lie and sell people on something. And I talked about this a little bit on horror business too, but uh, I don't want to sell it as not a kid show, but if you're someone who can put up with kid shows, it's really good. And some of the spooky stuff is like actually not actually spooky. Like the thing, like you're scared. Yeah. yeah but actually spooky. Like but conceptually o- you're like, Oh shit. Yeah. Like, is this okay for a kid to watch? Like there's a couple of uh-huh. times where Maeve was really fucking freaked out. And I thought about turning it off, honestly, but I didn't. Wow, and she really? loves it. Now she really wants to watch it, which at first she was just putting up with it because if I watched it, then I, if she watched it with me, then she could watch Lele, which is her favorite show. Do we girl. not like Lele? Is Lele not She's, our vibe? It's fine. It's fine. No, no, I'm talking about you. I know she No, that's it. what I'm saying. It's fine. It's like oh. totally fine, but I don't love it. Well, and especially like she got really excited about it because a second season came out of Lele, but she's now watched all the second season. So all we're doing now is re-watching Lele again, and that's mm-hmm. where I get a little, again, not hostile. Like she can watch it. It's just like. If I'm going to be there too, I'm like, well, let's watch an owl house and then we can watch Lele. And now she's at the point where we finish an owl house. She wants to watch another owl house. That's, that wasn't a thing before, you know? So uh, again, it's a huge endorsement, right? This might be more for parents, I guess, but Josh will tell you sometimes when I recommend these kids shows, I know what I'm talking about. 
And I know friend of the show, Adriana, I think she said she likes the show. So, you know, that's two endorsements for you right there. I just think, I think it's pretty good. So again, if you hate kids shows, it's not for you. It's still for kids. But if you want a kid show that has some, I mean, it's not an overwhelming, I shouldn't say it's a lot, but there is some queer representation in it. Uh, in a way that I think is very unafraid of that. It doesn't dance around it. Uh, and some horror elements because she does live in the realm of demons with a bunch of witches. So there's some creepy stuff that happens. Uh, if you're into that, I say, check it out. It, it, it brings me a lot of joy. Uh, but that's it. That's what I got, Josh. That's, that's all I got going on. How about you, buddy? So um, I've been busy. Oh, I know. As is the thing, uh, one of the well, so the first thing that I would like to discuss is that I went to the Hostel Council or Hostel City Oi show last maybe Thursday. Yeah, I went and saw Please Die and Conservative Military Image and Breton Army and Liberty and Justice at um the fire last week. Oh, Breton Armee played. I love that. Band. Yeah, they were super fun. And it was it was awesome. It's funny because um, I was talking about this with uh, with a homie at the show. I was like, you know, here's the thing, man. Like when we got into hardcore, it was different because it wasn't super positive or even melodic. You know what I mean? Like it was negative music for negative people. And um, I kind of still, despite being the singer for what some could consider to be an uplifting band, uh, I still love negative music man like there's still a thing to it that i'm into and just the natural trans like just the national development of that goes from you know hardcore that we used to go see to this new breed of abrasive oi bands and i'm here for it sure i am here for it oh my god i gotta say it was a super fun time um i missed the first band because i got there late but please die were really fun and then um, after that was um, Breton Army. I think there might have been another band that I, I ended up missing because there was a, the show was wild. It was super packed. There was a bunch of people there that was like, like Chris X was there and Davin was there. There was just a bunch of people that were like. Was Castillo on that too? Uh, I don't think Castillo was on there. Okay. But I did get to uh, shake hands with the bass player from uh, Liberty and Justice, who's a Filipino dude from Texas. And that was really funny. <laughs> like, hey, what's up, man? Like, we've talked to each other on Instagram and stuff like that. So I was like, yeah, you know, because a um, friend of the show, Yoni Kroll, did a, a little article on Filipino punks in America. And I got to talk to him a little bit about it. And um, yeah, he was the other dude that <laughs> Yoni brought up, I think. And so uh, it was interesting to me and it was kind of fun. But um. Yeah, the show was great. Uh, conservative military image definitely stole the show. I think that okay. band is good as f- God damn. I love that shit. Do you like that band? Yeah, I think I'm less excited. We talked about this before. I think yeah, I'm I'm a little less excited about it than other people are. But that's not because I don't think it's good. It's just I'm le- I'm leaning more towards the more melodic away stuff Boy, right now. Yeah, like the, than the more aggressive stuff. Syndrome's 81. Yeah, Syndrome 81. Army. Even like I still yeah. listen to the Chubby and the Gang stuff, which is oh, I still maybe a little more too. pub rock than it is away, but I still really like it. Or even that Castillo band, I think is a little more melodic. But like mm. a, a perfect example is I really like that Condor record. Did I send you that? Yeah, it's great. Fucking love that. So I, I think it. that's, yeah. again, that's not to say that the more aggressive stuff isn't good. It's just the, 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 uh, it's just not where I'm leaning currently. Right. I mean, like, I love the melodic stuff too. I especially love bands like Dead Hero. I love, um, 
course, you know, the classics, Gox Bar, um, you know, stuff like this. But I'm saying the, the aggressive, angry stuff, super fun to me. Like, I love Skinhead. I love CMI. I love, like, all this new breed. It's, it's bringing me life. So um, that was a fun show to be at. Got to hang out with my girl Shay from the band Revelators, and she it was cool just like getting a chance to chill because we haven't hung out like in proper in a long time, you know. So it was good, and uh, Kaz and Allie were there. Like a bunch of the homies were in the house, so it was super fun, and we had a great time. Um, so I saw Scream Six. Oh, how was that? I okay. So when I start, first of all, twenty twenty three represents the tenth year of me and Melani being married. And prior to us getting married, we dated for like five years, something like that. So 15 years of us being together. And during all that time, I was like a scream hater. I was just like, I get it. It's meta horror. It's so smart and snarky. Like, it's fine. And then um, when Scream 5 came out, I did the deep dive. I was like, all right, you know what? We're, we're just going to watch all of them and we're going to see where we're at. And I did. And lo and behold, I'm something of a fan. So now, marching into Screm 6, I'm here for it. I'm into it. it. It feels like a naturally evolving franchise that doesn't rely too heavily on its precedent, but still stays vital and vibrant and energetic. And Scream 6, to me, felt like a love letter to the entire franchise. And again, here for it. 100% into it. Um... Yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are on Scream. It's not one of those things I'm going to think about an awful lot. You know what I mean? But it's definitely one of those movies that I'm like, yeah, this is a good ass time. So I feel, have we not talked about this? The no. Scream thing? Oh, wow. Okay, so um, my we where was I talking about? I guess we talked about this recently on horror business. So, um, you know, I I was not a Scream hater. Like when Scream came out. I was Wait, on you were into it, right? Like you were I mean, down. when it first came out, I was young enough that I went to see it in the theater and thought it was really great. I mean, it's pretty, it's a lot older than I think some people remember. Yeah. And so that was like, well, I think the first one, well, the first one was what, 97 maybe? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, like maybe so I was, a senior, I was a senior in high school. So it was like, yeah, we're going to see Scream. And I thought it was great. Uh, revisiting it not that long ago, and I watched the whole series in one weekend, and I was so fucking bummed. And I think it's the tone. What I've realized more recently is I think it's the tone of the dialogue. I think it's just everyone is always yelling and being mean in most of these movies. And it just starts to grate on my nerves a little bit. Uh, But very recently, like two episodes ago, we had a guest on Horror Business, uh, my man Butcher from Grip Hook. And Mm. he fucking loves that movie. And so I I watched it again for that, and I really tried to take it seriously, knowing how much he cares about it. And I realized, like, I do think that first Scream really does change the game. Like, I really think it is a really amazing movie. I just, I get the feeling that the teenager representation in it is either from a John Carpenter who's decided he fucking hates teenagers, or it's a caricature of what adults think teenagers are like. All I know Which is, could be one and the same, really. It totally. All I know is they get on my nerves. Even the ones we're supposed to like in that movie, I don't like. Mm. And so I think that's a, a bit of a barrier for me for those movies. Um I, that being said, I watched Scream Five. I have not seen Scream Six yet. 
and I thought Scream Five was okay. I know a lot yeah. of people. I think the 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 what sucked about Scream Five is that a lot of people were like, "It's back and it's better than ever," and I yeah, think they no, blew it up too thing. hard. Yeah, and then when people saw it and it was fine, they got real bummed. I think it, you know it it did what it had to do, which is what which is take the meta to another meta level. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. but I can see why people are maybe tired. I I just think at this point the meta thing became such a part of the culture after scream that it no longer is a magic trick. I find interesting. Right. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know about you, Josh, but the first time I heard a fucking dive bomb, uh-huh. I was like, what the fuck is this? You know, <laughs> the first time I heard harmonics in a hardcore song, you know, whatever yeah, that is. Snap case. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Magical. At this point, who gives a fuck? It doesn't matter anymore. And so I think with me, I think I prefer movies that are maybe a little bit more sincere, mm. hard on the sleeve than the kind of meta snarkiness of Scream. That being said, will I see Scream 6? Yeah, of course, because Scream 5 was actually pretty good. It wasn't yeah. the thing that I was sold that it was going to be, but I knew that going in. As soon as I heard people fucking losing their minds about it, I thought, no. there's no way it's going to be that good. But it was pretty good, you know? It, yeah. it wasn't bad. It was just like, oh, that was fun, you know? So that's what I want from Scream 6 is for it to also be fun. I hear there are people who are bummed on the lack of Nev Campbell, especially because she's not in it because they wouldn't pay her enough money. Yeah, so, that's a bummer. But, I mean, that said, narratively, it's a it fun works movie, for you? man. I yeah, enjoyed okay. it. I enjoyed right. it very much. I mean, I'm going to see it. I just was, wasn't, you know, I love that you've become a fan because I was a fan and now I'm more like, it's fine. You know, yeah. it's I'm I mean, not against not, it. I'm not it's out just, here wearing care. stab T-shirts or anything sure, like sure, that. Sure, you sure, know sure. what I mean? But like, I'm definitely enjoying myself watching these movies. Um, it's funny. I went to Monster Mania convention also this past week or a week ago just to hang out with um some of the homies that went to go take pictures with Mr. Charlie Hunam, sure, who is right. from who is signing autographs and taking pictures. And uh, is I saw a stab shirt when I was there. I was like, oh, that's pretty funny. But um, Rose McGowan was there and um, friend of the show, Hannah Palermo was there and she was manning the screen booth. So it was kind of good to talk to her a little bit about just the inner workings of Monster Mania and how the crossover between that and the movie industry that we both uh, are associated together with, like just because that she's the person who gets Cinepunks in the movies and all this stuff. So it was kind of fun to talk to her about like just like the weird juxtapositions of both of the things, you know. And, uh, I, you know, it's funny. I'm not so sure I'm a Monster Mania dude anymore. Just going to say it. I'm not paying money to get autographs from people. You know, like, it was the Nagzima girl was there, Rebecca Gayhart. That was kind of fun to see her. And um, But there was, like, the, the young lady who played the robot in Megan was there. And she was signing autographs and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it was just a creep show, man. Like, I was not feeling it at all. Like, just, it was weird. Um, that said... It was a fun time. It was good seeing stop by the diabolic table and seeing uh, Jesse and Skylar and uh, Missy. Like it was, you know, the the hits are there. But um, overall, I didn't really uh, I didn't buy anything. I just hung out with Rick and we made fun of people all day. So that was cool. I would like to sell like I'd like to get back to the area to do rough cut stuff at. Monster I think Rough Mania. Cut would crush Monster Mania. No, no, no. We've done it before. We don't do great. It's no. our stuff is too obscure. People don't give a fuck. But oh wow. But we do okay. Like it's still worth doing it. It's mm. just not the money maker that I think we thought it would be, you know? Um, right, right, right. Still, I would do it, but 
you know, uh, fellow Cinepunk, Justin Lore, he loves to go and pay for all these pictures yeah. and autographs and shit. And I just can't. That's not for me, man. Like, it's not I don't, my vibe. I, don't I mean, like, it. we did, like, me and Melani love doing that kind of stuff. So, of course, we have pictures with George Takei and with Bruce Campbell and all this stuff. And the iconic one with Mr. George A. Romero, of course, happened at a Monster Mania. But that said, you know, it's cool. It's fine. Um, I did go to New York City this weekend. Oh, Part of right. the reason that we right. went to New York was because we wanted to. Well, um, also last week I went and saw Miss Shea Coulee as she opened for Betty Who at Union Transfer. Sure. Um, I didn't know she was going to be lip syncing. I thought she was actually going to sing, but um, she lip synced and it was fine. Like it was a good time just watching, you know, uh, season seven All Stars. Just seeing one of them on stage is a fun time. So that was a good time. And then we went to New York because the Lincoln Center at the Walter Reed Theater is doing for the month of March. They were doing a retrospective on the films of Todd Browning, who directed Freaks and Dracula and, you know, who basically single handedly um, put people like Bella Lugosi in front of the camera and um, who put, um, well, I mean, to a certain extent, Vincent Price, but also uh, just a bunch of like foundational horror movies. Right. And do you know stuff about Todd Browning at all? Are you a fan? Yeah, I, I, I'm not an expert like a lot of people. Like he, he's very important to the history of horror, but mm-hmm. I don't, I don't probably know as much about him as I should. But I do like uh, a number of his movies. Yeah, so it was fun because they were casting them. Like the cool thing about Todd Browning is that he made all these movies in the 1920s, and then come the 30s, talkies became a thing, which is prevalent or pertinent to our conversation for today. And um he redid his movies with dialogue. So uh, one of the movies that we saw at nitrate last year was called the dirty three. And that was really fun. And um, we weren't able to catch more than one movie on this retrospective that they're doing at the Lincoln center, but it's awesome seeing a movie at the Lincoln center. Have you ever done that? Never. It's super fun. So the Walter Reed theater is like, they do projection on film. And um, we went there. The first time we went there was when they were doing the retrospective on John Waters. And we got to see polyester in there. And they did it with the odorama cards. And it was super fun. So this year, they we got to see a movie called Outside the Law. Um, it's a 1930 movie with, again, Todd Browning directed. Um, the movie is actually the very first per, um, appearance of uh, Mr. Edward G. Robinson, who played oh. a gangster named Cobra Collins. Which is awesome. But I mean, like, the whole movie is very much a template for, like, these, like, hot talking gangsta movies. She, like, is super duper fun and uh, really enjoyed it. We went to the Brooklyn Arts uh, Academy of Music to see a play called The Sign in Sydney Brewstein's Wind- Window, which was a play that was written by um, Lorraine Hansberry. She is also famous for writing a play called uh, Raisin in the Sun, which was also turned into a movie. But this one was starring Oscar Isaac as Sidney Brustein and um, Rachel Brosnahan. Okay. Who she's a TV person. They only knew who she was. And uh, but she plays his wife in the movie er, in the play. And it's just, dude, what's your relationship with plays, Liam? Do you like plays or no? <sighs> Theater. You yeah. know, that's a good question. I, um, I haven't seen a lot. Um, I've definitely done a couple things on Broadway, but not a lot. In theory, I like live theater. That's the theory. 
in reality, I haven't seen enough stuff that I really cared about or connected to, to know Mm. for sure, if that makes sense. You know, like I'm not against it. I'm not like, Oh, this is lame. Uh, but I don't know enough. It's kind of, I'm sure like friends of ours who, um, in theory, like, uh, art films, but they don't have enough experience to know what's worth their time and what's not. That's Mm. how I feel is like, yeah, I, I think I like uh, plays, but I don't, you know, the, the thing, the difference obviously between plays and um, film is that people very often read plays as well as see them, right? Right, right, right. And so, like, uh, when it comes to, like, historically, I don't think I've read enough. I have read some, but I don't think I've read enough to have a strong opinion on what it is I'm looking for. And then mm. when it comes to contemporary stuff, I've only seen things that were, like, out experimental of, yeah yeah yeah. well i have yeah i've seen a few experimental things but i also just mean like out of market like by the time you're seeing something in philly mm. when i was in philly and i saw some plays they were already kind of established right right like i feel like you're really only getting new shit in places like new york uh or like things like fringe festivals around the sure, country sure, sure. stuff like this but with fringe oftentimes the stuff i was seeing wasn't always plays it was other mm. kinds of performances yeah performance you know? art so, and all that but yeah i guess i mean i like acting right so mm. it, assuming the play works i think i would be stoked on seeing more live theater yeah. but i haven't seen enough to be like yeah man i fucking love it i'm like it seems cool uh but i do feel a bit like a uh like a fish out of water when it comes to mm. live theater I love me and Melani love live theater. Like, yo, I'm out there with a scarf on. You know what I'm saying? One of those dudes, glasses, scarves, tattoos, being like, oh, yeah, this is a very interesting play. Like, I'm that dude. I don't even give a shit. That's who I am. And uh, so we saw the sign in Sydney Brewstein's window. And again, it was it's a very interesting uh, play to follow a raisin in the sun because it's about like Sydney Brewstein and just politics of race in the 60s and of power in terms of like elected officials and what they end up giving to the community. But then to juxtapose that to 2023, it felt very contemporary despite being written in the sixties. The beautiful play Oscar Isaac is that is a national treasure. That man, he is a talent. There are parts in the play where his wife, Iris, you know, she is an aspiring actor and she's a waitress during the day and stuff. And, um, Sydney ends up buying like he he had a a nightclub that was called um it had a funny name it was oh it was called Walden Walden Pond and they're like yeah weird nightclub he's like oh, it wasn't meant to be a nightclub you were just supposed to be there and hang out and listen to folk records you know like he's still kind of in this play it was just really funny to me how he was still kind of in the Lewin Davis lane despite not that not being that character but um there are parts where you know um Iris the wife has like she dances and stuff and Oscar Isaac is playing the music on the stage and singing the songs with a banjo. Like, is there anything this man can't do? Like, I bet he's a good drummer, that jerk. But, um, yeah, it was really, really fun. It was an amazing play. It was a super fun thing to see. And there were a ton of famous people in there, Liam, you know, I'm not really one for being starstruck, but when you see Spike Lee in person, it's a different story. You're not going to not freak out. You know what I'm saying? Granted, Everybody else in New York, super cool. No one gave a shit. I guess that's what it's like to be at a Knicks game. But then there were a bunch of people that were from a bunch of other HBO properties there that I don't know. But Melani like loves these shows, like <laughs> like the show Succession. 
There was a dude in there. Um, hold on, let me find his name. He was just hanging out, just watching the play. And Melanie's like, oh man, that's the dude from Succession. And I was like, the dude from Succession? No shit. But I mean, I've never watched the show. So I don't really know who that dude is. Um, Jeremy Strong. Does that ring a bell for you? Oh, or no? yes, I definitely know. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, like just people like that. Like, and it was wild, man, because like, you know, me and Melani have done a lot of stuff. We've gone to Los Angeles for a bunch of things. Like, we've done a lot of things. When you're in a concentrated place where every other face you see is a person that was on television, there's a moment where you're like, am I just making this shit up or is that really happening? But like Melania is like, yeah, that's totally the guy from success. And it was, it was, it was just a wild night for sure. And then the other play that we saw, I finally saw Chicago. I've never seen the movie, never saw the play, no idea what it was. Um, the reason that we were there is because drag queen Jinx Monsoon was playing, uh, the matron mama. Um, I forget the name, but she was one of the actors and she was incredible. It was a really fun play. Great production is very, uh, it was, you know, it didn't have like a big stage, like set design or anything like that, but it was still fucking great, man. It was well-performed, beautiful. Um, everybody just danced really well and sang really well. It was what you expect from a Broadway matinee. Here's the thing though. Liam, I don't know if you knew you could do this. We bought standing room tickets. Oh, I did know you could do that. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you know we we do these things like seat of our pants style, so we try to get in when we can, you know. And the tickets are only forty bucks, and you stood in the back the whole time, but they had like little demarcated areas for you to stand in, which I thought was funny. It's like, oh yeah, stand in seat or well, standing position number fourteen, and you had to find that on a wall, and then that's where I stood. It was pretty well. Never did that before. But that said, the play was amazing. I had no idea that that's what that play was about. <laughs> but yeah, okay, I'm here for it. It was great. Um, and then directly after that, what they had done in the Times Square Hard Rock Hotel was that they had dressed up the bar on the 34th floor as the Continental from the John Wick movies as a John Wick 4 I promotion. I saw your pictures of this. Yeah, so we awesome. went to this thing, and it was ridiculous. It was so weird. Nobody was there. Granted, it was a Sunday night, but no one was there. And then there was a card, a tarot card reader, and uh, there's a bunch of samurai swords all over the place. And I didn't see the movie yet. I haven't seen John Wick 4 yet. So, you know, I had no idea what any of the referencing was. So then oh, I had to right. ask sure, people sure, sure. that were working. I was like, "What is, is this from the movie? And they're like, oh, yeah. That's from the Osaka Continental. It's in John Wick 4. Like, I didn't know. I had no idea. But um, Melani got a cocktail that they had on their special cocktail menu that had the gold coin in the gigantic ice cube. And, you know, we're not really drinkers like that, you know? So we just had to wait for the ice cube to melt so we could get the coin. It was really funny. It was a weird, weird night. But, uh, yeah, that's all I got. Well, that's pretty good. That's a good. That's a good list. Hell of a uh, time. Hell of a time. All right. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about what year is this from? 1950. Yeah. After the break, we're going to talk about a movie called Singing in the Rain from 1952. Life was a song. You came along. I've laid awake the whole night through. If I but dared to think you cared, this is what I'd say to you. You were meant for me. 
back to discuss a movie that is very near and dear to my heart 1952 singing in the rain so liam you had never watched this movie on total before now or is that what i'm understanding yes i had never seen this movie i literally had only seen the singing in the rain uh sequence which is from the fictional movie in the movie right is that correct mm. Uh, wait, singing in the rain. Yeah. Or is that part of the actual plot? No, that's part of the actual plot. I mean, there's no, there's no point in the, the dancing cavalier where, um, Oh, that makes sense. Right. 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 Yeah. Cause that's why it's all modern. I keep forgetting. I was like, wait, is this one part of the old? So that one. And then, um, uh, uh, good morning. That's part of the actual uh, so narrative, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a lot of singing. There are a lot of musical sequences that are part of the film, as well as some that like are not your standard musical sequences in that they're more like montages of different parts of mm. the reshooting of this film, you know? But that was uh, like 100% part of those musicals of that time. Oh, totally. Totally. So well, you, you, you are the ex- expert here, Josh. Right. Give us a walkthrough of the plot and then talk about, you know, this is one of your favorite movies. Wax eloquent for a little bit. So this movie, directed in 1952, takes place in the 1920s. 
and it takes place right at the cusp of the jazz singer being released. So it's transition that Hollywood made from silent films to talkies as they were called. And, um, Gene Kelly plays, uh, Don Lockwood and he, he, along with, um, with Lena Hetty, I believe her name is, she plays a character or well, Lena is the name of the character. She, um, Gene Hagen, that's it. Plays Lena Lamont and Lockwood and Lamont are like the coupled stars of the silent film, right? Of this era. And they're now making transition with the rest of Hollywood to talkies with the singing or is it the dancing cavalier? I forget the name, but they're making a movie that, you know, the directors are RF is like the, the production head of the company. And he's like, everybody stop. We're going to do this as a talkie. It's now a talking movie and they have to do the transition. So, um, you find out that Lena Lamont doesn't really have the best speaking voice, nor can she sing or can she dance? Cause you know, they, the, the movie that they end up shooting is like a period piece and they do a test screening of it and it doesn't go well. Everybody is laughing and they don't know what, like it, it just, all the growing pains of transitioning to talking movies is present, right? Like there's a part where uh, Lena Lamont can't like enunciate into the microphone. So they sew it into her uniform or into her costume for the scene. And it picks up her heartbeat, which I found to be really funny as a kid. And I still think it's funny now. Um, and then they end up uh, finding Kathy Selden played by Debbie Reynolds. And she has a beautiful singing voice and speaking voice. And they dub over all of Lena's parts with her talking and singing and everything. And then there, there comes a point where Lena says, well, Kathy Selden's not going to make it in Hollywood. She's going to be my person who just does my voice and my singing for all the movies that I'll be in moving forward. And then, you know, stuff happens and it doesn't, and you know, the villain is vanquished and Kathy and Don end up being together and they, it's a great movie. It's super fun. It's it. I love this movie. This movie has a place in my heart forever, rent free. It's got everything in it for me. And uh, I love Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly is one of, like, growing up, Gene Kelly was my dad's favorite person in these movies, right? So we watched all of them. We watched Brigadoon. We watched On the Town. We watched all of the movies where Gene Kelly's in. We seen them all multiple times. And Singing in the Rain was the one that resonated with me the most. Just because he's so debonair in it. I mean, like, I still love American in Paris. I still love all the ones that I've seen. But this movie just has it all for me. I love it. Josh, you're making this very hard for me. You didn't love it. Okay. There's a lot to love about this movie. And the thing I think that you love the most is the best part, which is these dance sequences are incredible. And I do Ugh, think that. They're so beautiful, too. I they're think so that beautifully shot and in, rendered. In modern film, you only see stuff like this done tongue in cheek, that mm. it's always with a sense of like, what we're doing is silly and it's never done, or I shouldn't say never, but rarely done with sincerity anymore. And I hate that. I wish that there was more of this, even if personally the music in this, I like singing in the rain. I like good morning. The rest of the songs mean nothing. I won't remember them ever again. They don't mean anything really? to me. They didn't connect. I just was like, meh. Uh, but it didn't matter. Like, even the parts where I thought the music was not impressive, the dancing was. Like, all of mm. those are great. 
everything in between the dancing, I had trouble with, man. Uh, some of the humor at the beginning I like. Uh, there's a whole sequence where Gene Kelly is basically lying about the history of him and his friend as Cosmo, performers. Yeah. yeah, him and Cosmo. Him and Cosmo as played by Donald O'Connor. Uh-huh. They he's he's telling the story of of their coming up as young performers and he's lying and they're showing you the reality while he lies. Fucking hilarious. All Genius. very funny. So very good. very good. I mean the whole sequence of them going to the premiere of that movie uh-huh. where the people are yelling at the people that are coming out of the limousines. Mm-hmm. It's like married for 3 months and still acting like newlyweds. It's just so like Warner Brother- Brothers uh Bugs Bunny comedy. Right, right. And I Ugh, do think I do genius. think there's a there's a nostalgia in the film for that era of silent film that I appreciate. Mm. I think that was something that people were starting to feel that movies had really changed and this is a movie sort of remembering how movies used to be in an era when a lot of modern people don't even look back now to when this movie came out, let alone to silent film. So, I think there's something interesting about that. The part that started to get on my nerves here is the villain of the movie is this actress, right? Mm. And at a base level, she's right and they're wrong. And it really yeah. got on my nerves a little bit. And then it, the worst part for me that really like made it hard, because the whole time I'm going, I get it. Her voice is annoying, whatever, sure. Yeah, she sounds like a scronky uh, Long Islander. But they at no time are they willing to just be honest with her. So they just manipulate and gaslight her the whole movie. And while she's wrong to say that this woman is basically going to be her slave because she's under contract, all the stuff before that where she just wants to be treated with respect, she's right. They're being dickheads the whole time. Mm. And then the big resolve at the end of the movie is the biggest dickhead move of all, which is to embarrass her publicly. And it's really telling in the movie, he also embarrasses his love interest. But like in true uh, fucking patriarch fashion, he interrupts and goes, stop that woman. You know, sure. I mean, this is not what he says, but what he should say is, sure, without your permission, I lied to you and then embarrassed you in front of this whole room of people. But it was all for your career, baby. And now we can love each other. It is the most, I mean, literally what he's doing in that scene, which is justifying this terrible thing he just did to her in front of all these people, justifying it as like for her own good. That's what abusers do. It's literally a scene. And the whole time I've been thinking like, Oh, this movie's fun. This kind of bums me out a little bit. It got worse and worse. And I'm watching it with Suze, who, by the way, also grew up with this movie and loves it. And I looked at Suze and I'm like, this scene is fucked up. And she goes, yeah, of course it is. I knew it was fucked up when I saw it when I was eight years old. And I was like, God damn it. The movie climaxes in one of the worst things ever. And she's like, yeah, it, it, it does. And I'm like, God damn it. So like at, a, at one level, I totally get why you love this movie. And granted, to be fair, Josh knows more about this than I do. So maybe there's someone listening who's like, oh, you like Singing in the Rain. Clearly, Blah to Blah is a much better musical. I have no dog in that fight. But for me right now, Singing in the Rain is clearly, on a performance level, the best musical I've ever seen. Period. It just is. That's mm. There's no argument to be made there. The, the dancing and stuff is great. The singing is great. Even in the songs I don't like, the performance of the singing is great. It's just not a song that I particularly connect with, you know? It's an amazing musical. That aspect of it, that like the true villain is just an actress who doesn't want to be irrelevant. 
and is pushed to the edge. And then the big solution is to publicly embarrass not just her, but his love interest. And then she just goes along with it because he's so great. That whole sequence was such a fucking, I mean, granted, you know what this is, Josh? It's a classically 50s movie. Like, yeah. This is just what every sort of story probably to some extent was about in the 50s, which is some man making immoral decisions for the good of everyone else. And then when they realize that he's really doing it for them, them all believing in him, you know, so mm. basically every movie is about American politics at the time, which was making a lot of bad decisions for the good of everyone else. And they better love me for it. God damn it. And that's what she does. She loves him for it. And then they're happy at the end. And part of me is kind of likes that because I think she's great. And obviously in a lot of ways, she's a, you know, a much more likable person than this other actress. And, uh, you know, the movie does do a good job of making sure you know that this other actress sucks. Like she is a shitty person, mm. but the treatment that she wants is just fair treatment. Like it's, it was, I was really conflicted because like, I, I mean, think of other sort of comedies, you know, we get a bunch of these characters that are like egotistical, you know, uh, full of themselves, unpleasant, but usually these bad people, also want things that are unjustified. And this is a movie where a really shitty lady wants just to be treated fairly for her contract and for her stardom. And the men around here, rather than just saying, no, I'm sorry, you're just fired. Like they could just fire her and then that would be it. Right. But like, Instead, they just manipulate her until she gets a smart lawyer to point out that they can't, that they're legally obligated to let her do what she wants because they signed a stupid contract, which also the whole thing kind of reads like a justification of movie bosses. Like the produce, the big movie boss of this movie is like this RF Simpson. Yeah. He's like this likable guy. He's a bit of a jerk, but he's mostly likable. Who's caught between a rock and a hard place. When in reality, every movie guy was a monster, right? Like just awful humans who covered up murders and, you know, I mean, just look up the history of the Oscars. The Oscars exist as an attempt to destroy the actors union. Like that's why there's an award system. So like, Let's just live into the reality that, in a sense, this movie kind of functions like propaganda for a system that destroyed a bunch of people's lives that used to like make them a ton of money. That being said, if you ignore all of that, it is a very charming movie. Right. It's like I felt so conflicted because what you said about your dad and Gene Kelly. I mean, to be fair, I think this is only the second thing I've ever seen with Gene Kelly in it. I don't know that I'm a big Gene Kelly person. I don't have a lot of experience with him, but based upon these movies... He's pretty fucking great, man. He's just so charming. He's and just he's like so graceful. That's the oh thing. yeah. I mean, that's what it is, right? That the, like his tap dancing in this movie, especially oh, yeah. in the um, in the roses, the Moses supposes song. It's so debonair and it's so graceful. It looks like he's floating on air, and the expression on his face while he does it is so effortless. Yep. That you could tell it's just like, you know, it reminded me of that line in The Outsiders. He doesn't go to a barber shop for a haircut. He goes for an oil change. Like, that's what I felt like I was watching. And, um, okay, so, you know, as far as narrative goes and all that stuff, I get it. I actually wrote a song about Lena Lamont called Lena's Lament, which is basically what you're talking about. Like, maybe she's not the villain. Maybe she's just trying to vibe, right? Like, that's the whole idea. I mean, she is, I will 100% say that they make sure, you know, this character is kind of unlikable. You know, I don't, I don't use the B word very much, but if you have a stereotype of like what that word means when used for people, she, she kind of fits the vibe, but she's not wrong. Right. And that's, what's hard about no, it for me. That's, 
that's what I wrote the song about. Yeah. But also, yeah. I mean, think about the fact that Gene Hagen, who played Lena Lamont in this movie, did all of the voice and vocal work for Debbie Reynolds. There's oh, is so that many things right? like that. Yeah. There's so many things about this movie that are like that. Like Gene Kelly directed the movie and he was really mean to Debbie Reynolds. And she was only 19 when they started filming this movie and not a dancer. You know what I mean? Like that's crazy. There's that's so crazy. many things about this movie that are insane, but that said, it just adds to this weird, like, I mean, granted, I guess you can't enjoy any movie made before 1950. No, there's, there's exceptions, but again, okay. it's, it's, and it's by and large, there are exceptions, but for the most part, you cannot watch a movie that was made by cishet men in the 19 up to 1950, maybe, maybe 1960s. That you're I not think this enjoy. is I think this is worse than other things I've seen that are old. Wow. It is definitely worse, especially the way it ends. I think it starts off not too bad. It slowly gets worse until the ending is a true just like, oh, God damn it. Really? This is how we're going to do it uh, again, though. You said not enjoy. I mean, first of all, yeah, I'll write off anything. Let's the, the argument that people make like, well, if you feel that way, then you have to write off a whole genre. Cool. I don't give a fuck about that. None of that matters. It's to not me. even a genre. It's Hollywood. Yeah, that's fine. I would write off Hollywood. That not that none of that matters to me. No argument that you would have to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to shit like this matters to me. That being said, you're still making a huge assumption. I didn't say I didn't enjoy it. I actually think <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's just you can't ignore. It's like uh, it's like when we talk about '90s hardcore, right? Mm. There are certain records that I fucking love, but if some Gen Z wants to point out that the sound quality is bullshit. I'm not going to lie and say like, yeah, well, you're not going to be like, no, it's fine. Yeah, I get that. But it's, it's not also that. just like, it's distractingly bad there. But I honestly think like, you know, I see a lot of movies made pre code also like before the 1950s and all this other stuff. It's part and parcel from what I've come to accept as movies from back then. Just well, but them- I also think a movie is different. It, I think it's also that the rest of the movie, it, it clashes so hard with the rest of the movie, I guess. So like mm. a movie where we're seeing bad people doing bad things, uh-huh. then it's a little easier to see shit that's bad because you're like, yeah, that's, that's the world that we're in. Singing in the Rain is such a fucking uplifting movie, except for it also doesn't really like its female characters very much. Even the one that it supposedly loves Mm. is not given her own sense of like agency really, you know? And it's weird. It's just a weird thing. Now, granted, you're right. It's probably just part of the time, but part of the time isn't going to make me not complain about it. Cause I don't give a fuck about any, that, that, nothing about that matters to me. Mm. And so, uh, you know, if, if someone wants to say, well, then you just have to judge every fifties movie. Yeah. I judge every, I judge every person alive in the fifties period. You're all judged done. And in the future, people will judge us now. It's just part of life. And the part of life is this movie is not very interested in the humanity of its female characters, which like isn't that big a deal until the ending, because the ending's supposed to be so awesome. And it's kind of not awesome. And that kind of like surprised me. Uh, that being said, yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's a fun movie. And, <laughs> you know, and it's worth. And to me, like, even if it was, well, I will say, like, I think you are more into the goofiness of these this era of movies than I am. So like mm. some of the f- supposedly funny parts in between musical sequences are like just not that funny to me. Like I just don't connect mm. with them per se. They're, they don't bum me out. I'm not against them. They're just 
I'm less on board, I think, than you are. And part of that's just time bias, right? I didn't, mm. you grew up with a lot of movies, I think, from this time period, and okay. I did not. Yeah. Uh, in fact, a lot of my older moviness comes either from horror, you know, which some mm. of it's goofy, but it's a different vibe than this. Uh, noir, which was, you know, something I got into like, you know, around grad school. And then, like, you know, more 60s uh, new Hollywood shit, you know, or, right. or the spookier, or the more goofy horror movies or whatever. So um, for me, this stuff is uh, not a bridge too far, but just not what I'm used to. And so right. I'm not immediately on board. But I think it would be hard. You know, there, there are listeners we have who just won't watch this because it's old. You know, like right. there are people who like our show who would just be like, Oh, it's before 1980. That's a grandpa movie. I refuse to watch it. <laughs> That's a Turner classic. See you later. Yeah. And I also kind of get it to some extent, but I do want to make the argument that while this movie is to me, uh, distractingly sexist towards the end, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't watch it. If you can at all care about dance sequences. And if you can't care about dance sequences, that's actually not me. Like as much as I am not used to these older movies, we've talked before about, I like dance in general. Movies like Climax by Gaspar Noé with all the dance sequences. That's true. That's true. That's true. I wasn't even thinking about that, but yeah, that's a good example. But even like we were talking about plays Mm. as an adult, I've gone to more dance performances than I have plays Mm. uh, partly because of friends were in them. So I could just go see friends and it was less intimidating. Whereas with a play, sometimes I have to just like choose and hope that what I'm choosing is good. And just yeah. like, hopefully I made a good choice. Cause whatever with these dance things, it didn't matter that I don't know anything about dance and I didn't know if it was going to be good. Mm-hmm. I just knew my friends were in it and I went and had a great time. Cause I fucking love dance. In yeah. fact, I, I kind of wish I had done dance back when I could like move my <laughs> move body like a dance without hurting. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah. You, uh, what did you think about the Sid Charisse section? The, um, the technicolor part where, um, Don is pitching a modern dance section into this period piece of a movie. Uh, pretty great. It's uh, the, the gotta dance part. Gotta oh yeah. Dance. It has some real insane imagery in it. I mean, oh, that's so the other good. part that's missing from this age of Hollywood, which really started before the fifties, more in the forties, but continued on through the fifties and really only fizzled out a little bit in the sixties because people just got tired of spectacle as a thing in and of itself. Mm. I do miss that spectacle. I mean, it's one of the reasons I like hail Caesar, right? right. Like a lot of people criticized hail Caesar and some oh, of the I criticisms were, you know, a little justified, Fair. I guess. Yeah. But for the most part, what I love about Hail Caesar is an attempt to bring back some of that visual grandeur. Yeah. Grandeur. Yeah. yeah. Grandeur is a great word for it. And, uh, and I don't think we try to do that. I mean, granted people might argue that like big Hollywood movies today try to do that with CGI, but again, mm-hmm. uh, no disrespect to CGI, but that's different than coordinating and, and doing choreography for 200 mm-hmm. some dancers in a room. With big moving parts and circles. I mean, I sent uh, you a TikTok that someone had done about one of these movies where they're doing all these like in camera tricks and perspective tricks all for a dance sequence. And like, I get it. Like, maybe the rest of that movie sucks. Like, I'm not going to pretend that the plot for every movie with a giant, amazing dance sequence is actually fun to watch. Mm. But I just wish more movies tried to do that sort of thing. Like, it's so amazing to me. That kind yeah. of performance is amazing to me. It doesn't, not that it doesn't matter at all, 
but I'm not, I mean, here's the reality. A lot of these big fucking action movies that are coming out also have plots that I don't care about. They might be more intricate. But yeah. they aren't things I care about. So why not it's bring back... the grandeur back... of these fight sequences. Yeah, though. exactly. So why not I bring mean, back it... these huge movies with these huge dance sequences? Because I just think it'd be cool. And I think if people saw it in modern film and they saw what modern film could do with the same level of coordination, but with modern cameras and shit, mm-hmm. I just think it'd be amazing. And don't, anyone listening to this, don't bring up fucking La La Land to me. Because the I didn't problems, see that movie. Yeah. Oh, the problems with La La Land weren't the dance sequences. Those parts were kind of fun. It's that the rest of the movie is pretty fun. I mean, a lot of people love La La Land, and, and I didn't hate it. But I do think the things that people complain about about that movie don't have to do with the dance sequences, y'all. It mm. has to do with other aspects of the movie, like fucking Ryan, whatever his name is, the being, the, being the fucking last defender of jazz in America. That was maybe <laughs> not a great plot point, you know? Right, right, right. I mean- there's so many movies from this time, in particular the ones with Gene Kelly, that have such beautiful and wonder. Like that's the thing about these Technicolor movies that were shot in Technicolor. Sure, they're so gorgeous. They look so awesome to me, and it's 100% what makes me truly adore that modern dance sequence near the end of the movie. In addition to having Sid Charisse dancing in it and Gene Kelly and Sid Charisse doing these like beautiful choreographies. And the color, just, it's so gorgeous. But you have to watch movies, again, like On the Town. There's a bunch of beautiful dance sequences in there that are shot so, like, with such a intense, purposeful attention to color. Much right. like yes, in yes. that sequence, you know, he's wearing, like, the, the yellow vest with the, with the white shirt. And, like, he's got the, the, the red socks. Like, there's so many things in that movie that are in that portion of the movie that are so like thought out. And that was what I've come to understand as the musical of this time. You know, sequences like where people would come out of the water completely dry because they filmed it backwards, stuff like this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, in yeah. a lot of these musicals. And um, I love it. I love these like sweeping declarations. And I love like in an American in Paris, the, the story about American in Paris is that, Gene Kelly is a painter in Paris. There's a scene that's really funny where this American lady is talking to him about his paintings that he is hanging in the street. And she is like trying to speak in French. And he says, you can cool it lady. I'm from Perth fanboy, New Jersey. And it's just like one of those sequences that you're like, ha ha. You know what I mean? Like it's great. And, but just the whole broad brushstrokes that they use for things that were granted sexist granted like socially unacceptable today. Right. But there are sequences in those, in those constructs that are just so beautifully filmed and have never been done since. I agree. I just wish they didn't do those girls so dirty at the end. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I mean, again, I wrote a whole song about it. It's on my solo record. It's called Lena's lament, Yeah, but, um, you know, I what mean, are you going to do? Again, Lena sucks. The point is not yeah. that Lena doesn't suck. No, but, but she's also just that, trying to survive yeah, and exactly. have dignity. And that's what anybody would have done. Well, and to what is extent is this about rewriting that history? Like a lot of silent movie stars were fucking left in the ditch because they were yeah. stars for other reasons, not because yeah. of their goddamn voices. Right. You know, well, so, I mean, look at someone like Hattie McDaniel. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. She's buried now and forever in, or even Uncle Reba's from Song of the South. 
a Disney fucking movie, not well, allowed yeah. to come to the Oscars where he was nominated. Yeah. Oh, Song of the South. That's a whole other. That's a whole other thing, yeah. dude. The whole. But I mean, you can't deny that Zippity Doodah isn't a part of the American lexicography. You know well, what I mean? But that, I'll tell you what. That's actually so like fuck to me. Like we sang that song at school, and yeah. they never told us what it was from or what it was about or the context at all. It's just something. Hey, this is a fun song for kids it's to a sing. Catchy little tune for yeah. little children. Yeah. yeah it's, so now oof. I know. Even though I've never actually seen uh, "Song of the South," I've seen parts of it, but I haven't sat for the whole movie. That song is forever in my brain because I learned it when yeah, I was a man. kid. You know, it's one of those white box Disney movies that we had on Betamax as a kid that I've seen a million times. And even that, I was like, this is like weird, right? Like, this isn't correct. And uh, yeah, it was. Well, and what's crazy is that the whole narrative of that, right? Like, everyone mm-hmm. wants to say, like, well, for the time, Song of the South wasn't seen as what only a when it came out, it was. There are documented protests at the time. And then every time Disney re-released the movie, it was always more to Southern theaters. And it was always after big civil rights things. There would be a big civil rights action. And then Disney would re-release Song of the South and make a fuck ton of money. It it made more money when it was released in the 70s, I think, or the 60s. One of these, it was released, I guess it would be like 69. I think it was re-released. It made more, it made twice as much money then than when it was first out. It, in fact, it didn't do that well when it first came out, but it's made much more money on all these re-releases, which by the way, it was still being re-released into the nineties before someone yeah. was like, Hey, this movie's kind of racist. And they were like, yeah. oops. uh Oh, and then they stopped. Maybe there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. And now they're taking the fucking, you know, you heard they're changing the ride at Disneyland or world. One of the two, the, the, so the, I forget the name of it, but it's like the log flume ride was still the song of the South ride. They changed the name, but the, all the characters were there. It's all the cartoon characters. From oh, the I South. didn't know that. And so recently, again, yet another uh, uh, thing that's come out on the internet. Uh, but uh, I saw it on TikTok. was people pointing out like, Hey, you guys know these characters from song of the South, right? So now Disney said they're going to take them all out of there, which like, you know, sounds like a good idea. But, uh, you know, I got to I got to say one of my favorite bits recently was Roy Wood Jr. Talk about how the song of the South ride is the last place that kids can learn about racism anymore since they're like (laughs) banning the teaching of anything in in elementary school. So it's like you need that song of the South ride for kids to know what racism (laughs) is. And I thought that might be a good point, actually. I love Roy Wood Jr. But I do like the idea of Disney being like, yeah, I don't know. We made a mistake and it was a long time ago. So like are bad and it's like yo you re-released this fucking thing into the like, 90s for like 50 60 years they were making money off this fucking thing and it's just like <laughs> let's not pretend you know like you guys knew what it was then and you know what it is now so let's not fuck around with this thing you know so it's crazy it, it, whatever it is what it is i'm not gonna beat up disney about song of the south but i do think like it's this mixed thing where on one hand uh i i, I you know I'm not convinced about all this censoring old art. It seems weird to me. Um, you know, they're doing that now with the fucking, uh, what's his name? Roll doll books. They're going to censor them again. Some mm. of the stuff too is like really weird. Like one of the characters isn't going to be fat anymore. They're going to call him enormous, which I don't see how that's an improvement, you know? <laughs> uh, but you know, there's a bunch of changes they're going to make. And they, the, the, the thing about it that conservatives who are upset about that won't tell you is they've already done that. They've already edited a lot of these Roald Dahl books in the past. It's just 
uh, it was less popularized then. So like, mm. it's fucked that they're editing it, but it's the it's like this is like their third or fourth edit of these fucking books. Yeah, because some of them were so fucking offensive when they came out within a few years. You know, whatever. But anyways, the point is this: rather than just edit every old book so it stops offending us, why not assign new books for kids to read? If the whole idea is that there's all this children's literature that might be too hard to to explain to kids because it's got all this weird shit in it. So we're just going to keep editing them. Just assign different books. Like, I, I don't understand. Like we yeah, keep making books. So books many are books still out there. coming yeah. out. And again, it, I'm not saying they should never be taught these books, but like the idea, like, well, they're too sensitive as kids to read some of these words. I guess if, if that's how you feel, that's fine. I, personally, I, I would like to talk to my daughter about some of these things. I mean, there are probably examples that are so gross that she doesn't need to read them, but I don't think that's a common thing. I think most things she can read it and then we can talk about it. But like, if they are that bad, then don't edit them. Just assign different books. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand this whole thing. And I, I feel that way about movies too. And we've talked about this before. I don't want to give money to a creator who's hurt people in real life uh, while, you know, while they're alive, you know? So like uh, the easiest example is Victor Salva, child rapist. Mm, I'm yeah. not going to pay for these fucking uh, Jeepers Creepers movies. Fuck that dude. Those movies suck. Yeah. He sucks, whatever. But like the idea that we're going to put out versions of movies where we've edited out all the gross shit, like yeah. that shit already happened, right? It's already, it's already occurred. You're not fixing the past. And I don't need, if it's so bad that I shouldn't watch it, then I just don't need it. I don't know why yeah, we need an edited need version it. of like, it. Do you really have to see? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing, man. Like, I, I, don't I think if it's an option, like, so for example, there's a, uh, a version, I forget what movie it is, but there was controversy because there's a version of one of these, I don't know if it's a cannibal movie, but it's one of these movies where they killed a bunch of animals. And so there's a version coming out where you can watch the original or you can watch the version without all the animal death. And people were arguing about that. For me, I get why as a, as a capitalist, you would want to offer a different version because you just want to make money, right? Yeah. And so, and you didn't completely edit out the original version. So that seems like not quite censorship. You're just giving people the option if they're sensitive, that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. I think in the idea of like actual posterity, like if any of this art is worth keeping around for the long term then I don't think it should be kept around edited. I think it should exist yeah. as it is. Look and then at the, the original question, Star Wars trilogy. Oh, yeah. You can't 100%. even watch that shit. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Although that wasn't, I don't think, the only part of that that was edited for content is Lucas insisting that Han did not shoot first. But yeah. we all know Han shot first. Han shot Fuck first. you, that George. That was the whole point of the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's Anyways. a scoundrel. Yeah. Anyway, and, anyway I, we're going down the track. I don't think people shouldn't watch Singing in the Rain. I just had to say how surprised I was that such a pleasant movie otherwise had this weird thing where, like, even the women we like get treated in a really weird way. You know, like, it just it just felt off to me. Uh, but you're right. It's, it's pretty emblematic of the time. So I do think it's worse than other things I've seen to some extent. But I'm sure there's other movies that came out in 1952 that in which there is no woman who is an actual character in the movie and all the men get to basically swing their metaphorical dicks around. Right. That's probably pretty common. So I'm not trying to say this is actually any worse than anything else. It just was a surprise to me having never seen it before that I'm just seeing it with like, you know, my eyes now going, Oh, this is such a pleasant. I mean, if you take that aspect out of this, this feeling around, even if, if, they even just humanized the the villainous uh, actress more. Uh, 
the movie's then like great other I mean maybe I'm wrong maybe other people would say it's it's there's problems top to bottom but for me I, it's pretty endearing all the way through I, I I don't find it as funny I think as you do but it's still like a pretty fun movie and it just was like I think it's because it's that one I, I would compare it to like a kind of ice cream with a bunch of ingredients that you really like and then one ingredient they're like what the fuck is this? And it, it doesn't ruin the ice cream, but there's some party that's like, I wish, or, or a sandwich, you know, like this is probably how people feel who hate pickles, you know, and they're like, <laughs> this is a great sandwich except for these fucking pickles. You know, that's how I feel. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a great movie uh, in a lot of ways. This one little part of it though, I can't pretend it's not there, uh, but and still, also, I mean, there's nobody in the movie that's darker than a paper bag. We could talk about that. 100 percent. You know what I mean? There's nobody in the I movie mean, like where all this jazz dancing comes from. There is no no person darker than a paper most, bag. That in is this the entire most movie. 50s thing ever is we're going to have yeah. a bunch of white people steal the dances that black people invented and pretend like no black. I mean, even the idea that this whole movie resolves around the jazz singer and no one's going to yeah. stop and go wait, this is kind of fun because it was people just acted like this was normal. Again, uh, if you do history at the time, there were people who didn't like even back then who were like, hey, this is kind of fucked up. But like we only pretend like no one knew that racism was bad until Martin Luther King showed up to say, hey, guys, racism is bad and, and revealed <laughs> it to everyone. Like that's not really how the world worked, you know. But anyways, mm. uh, yeah, so I'm really glad we covered this. So, you know, for y'all, the original point here was we we kind of were figuring out what we're going to cover. And my original suggestion was like a comfort movie, right? Yeah. And then this you picked, you picked this, me, and it is yeah. a comfort movie, but I think we both decided it, this doesn't qualify as just a comfort movie. This is a classic. We're covering a classic of cinema right now. And yes, it's a classic that gives you comfort. But sometimes when we say comfort movie, we mean something a little more diminutive or something. And that's not mm. what this is. This is a titan of cinema. <laughs> it has aspects of it I don't love, but... It's still something that, like, if you do care about movies before 1970, then you have to see. You have to see yeah, it. 100%. It's so important. It's, you know? it's up there with, like, a movie like The Great Escape. You just have to see sure. it. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's, I mean, though that, it's, I, if you like Gene Kelly, if you like debonair dancing, you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. if you like Technicolor, you know, yeah, this and, is that know, movie. The cinematography of it all. The, you know, it doesn't have special effects as we have come to mean it, which is only explosions and makeup gore, but it does have special effects, right? There are things that happen that it's yeah. like, how the fuck did they do that? You know, and that's, mm -hmm. it's worth seeing for that because of the ingeniousness of that, you know? But it's also a 1952 take on 1920s movies and that's true. Hollywood, that's which true. is yeah. to me, probably the most compelling thing about the movie, right? Like. This movie is them being nostalgic of a time before them while we're watching it 80 years later. Yeah. And I, I, you know, that might not even always be clear to people. So I'm glad you, you said that. Like, oh, it's great. Ayo, this is, this is a movie that you might feel nostalgic about. That is about nostalgia. It's about looking back uh, to an era that people miss, but also was hard. Like a lot yeah. of people lost their careers at this time. And the movie mm -hmm. is about both those things. There's a, there's a respect, but also a, um, a lampooning of how hard that was, you know? Yeah. It's, I think that this movie is brilliant. I love this movie and I get that it has problems. I wrote a song about it, but that said, I still 
just believe in the grandeur of it all. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful movie. Well, you know, I'm less excited than Josh because I don't hate women, but uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm glad we covered it. Um, I, I don't remember what we're going to do next, but it's going to be awesome. So uh, uh, tune in next time. Yeah, thanks so, for listening. Part of the reason to have a schedule is so we could tell people what we're going to do, and I forget what it's going to be. So. Yeah, Sorry, it's y'all. written down somewhere. We'll, it's we'll cool. post about it before we record. You'll like it. You'll like it. Or you won't know what we're talking about. Those are the two options. Yeah, so, hey, true. you, Mama Say, Mama Sa. But uh, anyway, thank you for listening. As always, rate, review, and subscribe, as that's the currency that is important to podcasters such as us. Um, again, thank you to all of our patrons for uh, supporting us on Patreon. If you want to be a patron, a patron, um, feel free. We'll add you to the Discord, you know what I mean? And it's uh, patreon.com backslash cinepunks. And uh, that's all we got. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you a little bit on down the road. Bye. Smoke bomb. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Horror Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Dong. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.